So today we're going to talk about the different alphabet soup of rehab stays after the hospital. And I think this is important only because, of course, rehab stays come up not when you're most expecting them. And to have a little bit of a clue or a little bit of an idea of what the different rehab settings are, would just start with understanding what the names are. So usually if somebody's in the hospital for a while, it doesn't matter if it could, you know, just be for pneumonia or a knee replacement or something, and they experience a change in their function. So that means that they're not able to dress themselves or go to the bathroom independently or just even ambulate from one spot to the other. They're clearly not safe to go home. They're not whole. They're not the same functional level they were before they went in the hospital. And so there's a couple of different ways that this can be approached. One is for that person to receive a couple of visits of therapy while they're still in the hospital. So you'll see this for some really short stay diagnoses, such as a knee replacement and an otherwise healthy person. And so they might have a physical therapist come in two or three times throughout the course of the hospital stay And that should be sufficient. Once that person goes home, they may continue to access therapy. That could be through home health services. So somebody actually coming out to the home, if that person is considered homebound or or otherwise unable to leave the house very easily. And then also could be outpatient services. So that could be going to a neighborhood therapy clinic or maybe a clinic associated with a doctor's office to help recover from that knee replacement. But Of course, that's not everybody. So there's a large portion of that inpatient population that at the conclusion of their inpatient hospital stay, so maybe they've gotten their diagnosis, they've gotten the treatment, now they have that new functional problem. And so that could be, like I said, manifest and unable to care for yourself, unable to move around, or maybe that person's needs now exceed whatever their support was at home. So perhaps the spouse that was at home was you know, it was fine helping cook and clean, but it would be too difficult to help them physically get up from bed into a wheelchair or something like that. And so the conundrum becomes that the hospital can't really just send that patient home unsafe. They can't really, I'm not saying it never happens, but in general, the reason rehab comes into the picture is because one of the other consequences of a hospital stay is that they just have new functional problems or new functional needs that they didn't have before. So typically right towards the end of the hospital stay, there is an assessment by a physical and or occupational therapist, sometimes a rehab physician like myself. And there are some recommendations made as to what's the next level of care. So let's go through some of those. The top most intensive level of care. So somebody needs a lot of rehab or had a very high functional prior level and is trying to get back to that and could could respond well to high-intensity rehab. That type of rehab actually has three different acronyms, and they all mean pretty much the same thing. So one is ERF, which is Inpatient Rehab Facility. The next one is also called, or it's also called an ARU, or Acute Rehabilitation Unit. And then I've also seen it uh, spelled ARF, which is funny, Acute Rehab Facility. But all of these basically mean that the patient themselves still does require basically the equivalent of hospital monitoring. So seeing a physician five to seven days a week, having nursing available 24-7, maybe they have some respiratory issues or some other reason that they need medical monitoring. And the main 
mainstay of admission criteria for an ARU, an ERF, or an ARF, again, they're all the same, right, is going to be the ability to tolerate three or more hours of therapy per day. And that's universal. So if, if, if somebody is being evaluated to be admitted to one of these inpatient rehab units, one of the first things they're going to look at, do they show signs that three hours of therapy is doable for them? Now, of course, if you're young and healthy and listening to this podcast, you think, well, three hours of therapy sounds great. But remember, these people are deconditioned or have some new, have just been in the hospital. And that's basically the equivalent of, it can be, you know, running a marathon for three hours. And so three hours of therapy is not always the best choice for everybody involved. That could very easily be too much or even tip them over into having issues with exhaustion or falls or um, they just may not have the strength to meet that three hours a day. But typically what that unit is going to look for is can they reasonably be thought to tolerate three hours a day and are they going to participate? And so there are some patients that easily could tolerate the three hours a day, but because of, say, pain issues or personality issues sometimes or any other reason, they may say, well, I just don't want to do therapy in the mornings. Oh, and by the way, I don't want to do therapy in the afternoons either. And what will happen is that the insurance companies will catch on very quickly and start to you know, basically cut off the days for that patient. Now, inpatient rehab is expensive. You're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of $3,500 a day. And so insurance companies do not play lightly with inpatient rehab stays. They um, tend to track them very closely, make sure that the patient is appropriate and participating and they're, they're, they're making gains and getting closer to going home. And they might even be looking at those clinicals once every seven days. I've seen many patients who are only extended on basically a seven-day period from week to week, and maybe even sometimes less. If And there's usually an appeals process. But again, this is such an expensive stay, right? So you're looking at over $20,000 a week for this insurance company. And so knowing that your loved one or yourself going into a rehab facility, really encouraging them and understanding commitment to participating and being part of the rehab programming is really important. Now, there may be one random day, say somebody has some nausea and they only do two out of the three hours. That's usually not going to spell doom for that person staying in the program. However, this is just very tightly tracked and monitored. And so there will be max encouragement to continue to participate. So that's why it's hard for inpatient rehab facilities to take patients who have uncontrolled pain, right? So if they're coming out of the an operation on their leg and they can't live without IV pain meds every two hours, that's typically not a patient that is quite ready to go take their IV out and go to the gym for a couple of hours. Other things that really inhibit therapy, although sometimes it can work, things like hemodialysis, if that patient is getting hemodialysis three days a week for the majority of the day, that may make it really difficult to meet that requirement that they get the three hours of therapy every single day. And when you talk about what kind of therapy they're going to be getting, typically in most rehab facilities, they're going to have three core disciplines. One is physical therapy, which is basically the mobility, the strengthening, the transfers, getting up out of bed into a wheelchair or walker. The next one is occupational therapy. And that's really how you take care of yourself, bathing, dressing, eating, those types of things. And then the third one is speech therapy, which I know 
sounds funny because you don't have to have a speech problem to see a speech therapist, but they're really cognitive therapists as well. So if somebody's having some memory problems, some word finding difficulties, some swallowing problems after their hospital stay, then they would see a speech therapist. And depending on the rehab unit, you might get some other specialty therapists there. There are professionals called recreation therapists that can work on things that bring joy through recreational activities, such as puzzles or painting or adaptive sports, things like that. Some other places have even massage or music or aroma therapists attached to their units just to kind of add into the the whole person recovery. Many of these units will have a dedicated psychologist because typically these patients are adjusting to a new trauma or a new disability and even a, a more advanced cognitive testing through, say, a neuropsychologist. They will also come with two different types of doctors. So an internist is common on these facilities, and then also a physiatrist, which is a physical medicine rehab doctor like myself. Some of the units run with physiatry only, with internal medicine kind of coming in when they need to. And then other units, the admitting doctor is the internist, and then the physical medicine doctors come and consult. Every unit is a little bit different, not a big deal. But when we talk a little bit more about deciding which of these units tends to fit best, there are some some big forks in the road. And one of them is what's called an attached inpatient rehab facility or a freestanding rehab facility. And so an attached one will basically be a floor in the hospital, of especially these larger hospitals will have an inpatient rehab unit that's just like, you know, say you get all of your cardiac care on the sixth floor, well, then the rehab will be on the seventh floor. And so they continue basically their hospital stay, but it turns a little bit different flavor. So much more focused on rehabilitation and getting better, getting closer to going home versus a medical focus. Now they can still get medical treatments and continue treatments, but it's not really there to do massive diagnostic workups and stabilize patients. That The assumption is that we kind of have a working diagnosis and that these patients are medically stable. The other option is what's called a freestanding rehab unit. These are out in the communities, but not necessarily attached to a hospital. One of the benefits of those is they can be closer to neighborhoods or accessible to the family. One of the disadvantages is they don't tend to have quite as much medical services available. So if you needed a CAT scan in the middle of the night or something like that, that could be much more challenging to get in a freestanding hospital or freestanding rehab hospital. And things like labs where in a hospital, they might come back in two hours. At a freestanding hospital, they get sent out, might be back in, say, 24 hours. And so it can be somewhat shocking to people that are used to being in an acute inpatient hospital setting where everything happens fairly rapidly, and then going to a different setting where things just take a little bit longer, just the way that they're set up. And so, so yeah, so think about that from, from that standpoint too. If somebody's really attached to the physicians they've seen in the hospital or their surgeon, or if the surgeon wants to watch a certain part of the wound, staying in the same facility at the same hospital where that physician is located can be sometimes the, the best choice for that person. So when you're looking at rehab facility options, like we talked about, there's a couple of different acronyms. They all mean about the same thing. You definitely want to make sure that the patient is medically stable, that can tolerate three hours of therapy, and then the next just becomes kind of location and amenities. And if the patient's not super sick and doesn't have a lot of complications, I think a freestanding rehab hospital would be a great choice, especially if it's closer to family and the family needs to visit or 
or come in for what we call family training. So family training is where the the professionals on the rehab program, the rehab service, spend time with the family, teaching them how to take care of somebody else. And and that could be helping the family safely transfer that patient in and out of the car. That could be helping the, the family learn how to shower a patient if that's what they're going to do when they get home, those types of things. So very, very good for family training. So let's put that up on the shelf. So that is acute inpatient rehab. Oh, I should also say your average length of stay is fairly short, especially nowadays. You're probably looking at maybe 10 days to two weeks for most diagnosis categories. And then if you're going to have a much more complex, even like a stroke, something that has a lot of complex rehab needs, again, you're still looking at under a month. So maybe three to four weeks before the insurance companies start to get nervous about getting you out to a a different setting. So, So that's the inpatient rehab setting. There is a couple other levels. Let's go to the next level. So the next level is what's called subacute rehab or SAR. And that's kind of what it sounds like. It means below acute, meaning not quite sick enough to stay in the hospital, but still having a rehab focus. And so most of these, the vast majority of these programs are held within what are called skilled nursing facilities who have a program for rehabilitation or what's called skilled nursing and rehab. And so those patients will get nursing care typically get rehab care. But remember how I mentioned it's three hours for inpatient rehab. In subacute rehab, it's actually closer to two hours a day. And so if somebody can't quite get to that third hour, subacute rehab may be a better fit. Now, I'll tell you, there is a wide variety, even in that setting, of what those services look like. And it could be a, a skilled nursing facility that basically mimics an acute inpatient rehab. It looks the same, talks the same has a little bit different setup, a little bit less hours per day, but otherwise looks the same all the way over to what is essentially a nursing home that has a couple of rehab services or rehab patients. And so that is a wide breadth of services, of quality, of focus. And when you go and you're looking at subacute rehabs, you would be looking at what is their uh, priority for rehab? Do they have a gym? Literally, do they have a gym? What does it look like? What condition is the equipment and what kind of therapy services do they have available? And you can even look closer to think, you know, do they have therapists on staff or do they use a lot of contract or PRN therapists, things like that. And so subacute rehab is a little bit more challenging to nail down. And as far as the, even the physician services can vary widely anywhere from once a month to see a physician up to you know, several times per week. And when you're looking at cost, uh, these these units typically cost a lot less, right? So you're looking at maybe eight, you know, $800 a day, $900 a day versus that 3000 And so you can tell why insurance companies are kind of quick to say, hey, I think this patient may do well in subacute rehab and kind of push them in that direction. They're going to be saving you know, 70 or 80% on the day to try and, you know, move that patient over to a different level of care. So you can tell why some of these insurance companies would try to steer patients more towards subacute rehab because of the lower cost per day. And the the lengths of stay can tend to be longer. So you're going to be looking at longer lengths of stay instead of in terms of weeks, you know, could be in terms of months. So for subacute rehab, you just have to be 
aware of what you're looking for and trust your eyes and your guts and your online research of, of quality ratings and so forth. And, and just make sure that, especially if you're there to get rehab, that there is a good rehab focus and they're rehab forward, that the, the, the gym isn't over in an abandoned closet and that there are actual rehab focus personnel working there. And that could be a really good option, especially when the three hours a day just isn't quite in the, in the cards for that particular patient. And there's a couple of other levels to think about. The next would be home with home health. I think we've talked about this a couple of different times on the podcast, but home with home health is really when that patient discharges to their home setting. Now that could be from the uh, acute hospital stay. That could even be from a rehab unit that they go home and home health is the service that comes out and checks on that patient. They usually do an evaluation by a nurse, maybe even a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, and they work under an order set from a physician. And so they'll go and determine how often they think this patient should be seen and work with the physician to, to get orders to do wound care or therapy or whatever. And so these episodes are 60 days and can be recertified or re-upped every 60 days if there's continuing need. But still, the majority of these patients, unless they have chronic wounds or chronic foleys or things like that, are going to pretty much age out within that first 60 days as far as not needing that level of care anymore. But but home health can be an excellent option to help transition that person back to the home, make sure they're safe, make sure they're taking their medications, they understand their medications. And having a therapist go into the home and look at that person in their home setting is golden, right? We don't do that in acute inpatient rehab necessarily. We don't live in their home. And so having an actual trained therapist be in the home with that patient, that can bring up new issues with safety, new needs for equipment, that type of thing. So home with home health is is a good option and, and well covered by most insurances. That one, they don't fight quite as hard. There are requirements that patient does need to be homebound. They need to be reasonably needs to be reasonably difficult for that person to access care in the community. Because if they were just 25 and healthy and could drive to the doctor or drive to the therapist, they wouldn't qualify for home health services. So home health is always a good option to have in your back pocket, especially as a transitional service and going home. And the same thing with anything else. There are quality ratings that are out there. Word of mouth can be helpful. A lot of the case managers know a lot about local home health agencies and can tell you kind of the rundown of, of who they've gotten good feedback about and things like that. So always good to ask around, um, you know, lean towards established um, companies that have a record. Uh, and especially if you can get, you know, a personal recommendation, that's always good too. Um, and then one that we don't really think about that much, but it's probably one of the more, you know, more common is just to have outpatient follow-up, especially for therapy. And that would be going to continue to get physical or occupational therapy out in the community, out in an outpatient clinic. These are much more common in orthopedic cases where there's a hip fracture, a knee fracture. You're just trying to get that that limb strengthened or more mobile or preserve that range of motion. But if somebody goes home with, say, debility or pneumonia, they're very unlikely to get a prescription to continue outpatient therapy services. And, and typically, those patients kind of fall back into the home health population and not as much into outpatient rehab. But Again, for younger patients or for more specific diagnoses related to um, orthopedics and even sometimes uh, cardiac, there are outpatient cardiac rehab programs as well that will do 
exercise, but monitored by cardiac testing or cardiac monitoring or telemetry. And again, that's just watching for any kind of cardiac issues that are arising as a result of the therapy itself. And so that's called outpatient cardiac rehab. And there's also an outpatient pulmonary rehab. These are specialty rehab settings. And so they might not be available in all markets, but outpatient pulmonary rehab became very important right after COVID. There's a lot of people that were having a lot of of new onset pulmonary issues that were needing to have help with their breathing throughout exercise. And again, having that monitored exercise setting so that they wouldn't have any problems with with exercising despite their their lung issues. So going back, just kind of the big 30,000 foot view there is the acute inpatient rehab. I'll go back even farther than that. You could get a tiny bit of rehab before you leave the hospital and nothing more. Sometimes that's appropriate. The next one is to get the full-blown acute inpatient rehab. That's the most comprehensive and most intensive, but also the most expensive and can be difficult. Now, I would also mention for Medicare patients, that, that especially people over 65, that's the most common way to get Medicare it's important to know that the managed Medicare plans are much more stingy with with approving acute rehab or subacute rehab than the traditional Medicare. And so for whatever reason you're entering into a managed care plan, just be aware these are some of the minor things you might not even experience until you need them or you want those services. And I can't tell you how many times those patients are worrying about that next seven days being approved. And again, so those managed care plans can be very, very stingy with rehab days. Anyway, so acute inpatient rehab, and we talked about subacute rehab and the very the variations of that, home health services and then outpatient services. And so as you're going through a hospital stay, especially if there is a loved one on the other end of this expecting to take care of somebody, rehab is a critical element, a critical process to try to overall to improve that person's capabilities so that they require less care on the back end. So anyway, I know this was a, a short episode. I've been wanting to get it out there for a while. Just the alphabet soup of different rehab settings. Hope you never need to know any of this. But if you do, now you have a little bit more information. If you'd like me to go into any more depth on any of those specific areas, I'd be happy to just send me send me a message. All right, guys, take care. Be safe. Be warm out there. Hey everyone, it's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to take just a moment to review the disclaimer. This podcast is for informational and occasional entertainment purposes only. Nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. By listening to the podcast, we are not creating a patient-doctor relationship between you and myself or any of the guests. Really, it's just me and a possible guest or two, sometimes three, sitting around talking about difficult topics related to aging parents. If you have or suspect that you might have a medical problem or condition, you should seek advice from a licensed medical professional. If you have any questions or concerns, please read the full disclaimer in the show notes or contact me directly. Thank you again for joining us today. I can't wait to see you next week. Have a good day.